0: In our Sermon on the Mount sermon series, we are up to the seventh beatitude. This is God's holy and infallible word from Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. It seems like the beatitudes keep bringing us to kind of the greatest hits of our faith. The most central aspects of Christian living And what the gospel are all about are here in the Beatitudes. And in this one, Jesus talks about peace. When he was born, the heavenly host praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men. Peace is at the very heart of what Jesus came to be about. Of course, Jesus talks about peacemakers here, not just peace. And that tells us we have a role in the divine peacemaking enterprise that the Bible tells us about. Being a a peacemaker, you being a peacemaker, me, that's a critical component. It's critical to each one of us living the blessed life that Jesus has won for us. By his work and by his grace. First of all, this morning, one, once you think about this call a bit, you realize what an uncommon calling peacemaking is. It's an alien concept, it's foreign to us. It, it, it's an enterprise, it's a work that's really out of this world because people, by nature, are troublemakers. War, not peace. That's the constant reality of history and life. The most awesome movie franchise of all time is what, of course? I'm sure we all agree on this. Star Wars. Star Wars, not Star Truce. We, and we love that. The battles, the conflict... And really, it's just a reflection of the very sobering fact that war permeates human history. They, they say that humans have been at war for 92% of the last 3,400 years of history. That's like 3,100 years of the last 3,400 years. Only a couple hundred years in all that time with no war. Last year, in 2015, do you know how many military conflicts were going on in the world. I looked it up. About 30. 30 military conflicts. 14 of those 30 had 1,000 fatalities or more. And that's 14 pretty big wars going on just last year. It's very hard for us uh, to imagine sitting here in relatively peaceful Elmhurst. But you know that we don't need outright military conflict to see lack of peace. You think about the canceled rally at the University of Illinois Chicago campus on Friday. And even closer to home, I mean, just watch brothers and sisters interact for a little while. What percentage of time that little kids spend with each other is peaceful. Tell us, moms, what percentage of time? I had two younger sisters and a younger brother, and I have to confess, I teased my sisters. I enjoyed, I confess, riling them up a little bit. I actually enjoyed riling them up quite a lot sometimes, and I felt bad about it, but I did it. But, but that's troublemaking, That's being a troublemaker, not a peacemaker. And of course, you know, we expect kids to bicker a bit. But if you think about it, if you think about adults, how many peacemakers do you know? How many people in your life, how many people out there are truly peacemakers? You know, our human nature likes to stir things up. John Lennon, sort of a musical genius, I guess, he had the solution to our propensity for conflict. Imagine, no countries, no religion, no possessions. Nice tune, but come on, John. Other brilliant ideas have been if one country in the world can sort of become a single superpower over all the other countries in the world and then keep Peace, outlaw war. Well, that's a way people have suggested we could have peace in a world. Or the thinking has gone, if everyone would just live by the, the golden rule, love. If we could just be reasonable and love one another. But the reality is that over thousands of years no philosophical, social, political, psychological, economic answer for war for trouble, for misunderstandings between people has ever stuck. You see, we can't master any of these beatitudes, any of these callings by human means. Human will or power or reason won't do it because the trouble, like we talked about last week, is in the heart. Our troubles in life are in the heart. We need new and pure hearts. And, you know, that's why the church has to be very careful about preaching about politics and policies and sociology and economics, although there's great temptation to do so, and even though prominent preachers today do it. You see them up there uh, promoting certain candidates for the presidency. We don't do that at faith. It's not because we're afraid of something it's not because we're afraid of losing our nonprofit status it's not because we're scared to it's because you know what we've got bigger fish to fry friends jesus came to tell people about real problems and the church is entrusted with the good news that gets at the root of those problems instead of just dealing with the superficial stuff like economics and government policies that our world thinks will solve all the problems Now, you know, I believe, we believe that Christians should absolutely care about politics and all the rest and get out there, vote for the person we think best exemplifies the values of Jesus Christ. Being involved is part of shining our light, but humanity's remedy isn't going to come from within itself, and Pastor Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks a lot about this. The remedy is from out of this world, and thankfully, Jesus came to bring the solution to this world. This is what the church has to offer. We don't have time to mess around with lesser things when we've got the biggest thing of all to preach, to offer, to live ourselves, and that's the gospel. That's what you need. That's what people need. This is the enterprise that we need to be giving our all to support and build up and advance peacemaking is ultimately a divine work with divine origins. In short, secondly this morning, peacemaking needs Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. There are a lot of uh, little Christian sayings out there. Uh, You hear them on the radio. They're on little mugs and, and, and wristbands. And There's one that you might think is trite on first glance, but it's true, and it strikes to the heart of what we're talking about. This is truth. You've heard this before. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Colossians 1 says that God is a peacemaker. Colossians 1 tells us that God made peace through Christ's blood shed on the cross. The devil is the ultimate troublemaker. He introduced strife into this world by tempting mankind into sin. That created a lack of peace between God and people. sin and the devil. They're the originators of our heart problem, and they are why we like trouble, why we're drawn to it. But through Jesus' coming, we are reconciled to God And this is why peacemakers are called children of God. Not because we become children of God if we just try working at peace enough, but it's because we become peacemakers when God gives us peace in Jesus, when we know Jesus. Peacemaking is the family business. And when we belong to Jesus, we're part of the Father's family. That divine enterprise is ours too. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and the citizens of his kingdom follow. You know, we had a hard but, I think, good memorial service together for Eliza Lancer and the Lancer family on Thursday night. One of the songs we sang was When Peace Like a River. I believe that is challenging as This has all been and will continue to be. God has been giving his peace to the Lancer family and and, and to all of us in the midst of of this challenge and the questions. God truly gives us his peace in Jesus. Well, when you get a taste of the blessed peace of God, think about it, that God gives his children even through the valley of the shadow of death because the ultimate war against sin and death in the grave has been won. When you experience that supernatural blessing of peace that you can receive as a believer, I know many of you have experienced that peace even through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, you want everybody to know that. You want everybody to have that. It's out of this world. When when we know the peacemaking of God in Jesus, when we experience it more and more, we start to receive the roadmap for living out peace and exactly how to be peacemakers ourselves. And that brings us to our final point that peacemaking is a deliberate pursuit. This divine enterprise we're talking about took real work. Peacemaking isn't just sort of being a wimp in life. Peacemaking isn't sweeping problems under the rug. Think about it. God refused to let things be. God made peace by battling the devil at immense cost. The blood of his son on the cross. Jesus obtained peace, not by doing nothing, but by humbling himself, by becoming a servant. He looked beyond himself to our needs, our situation. So being a peacemaker, that isn't just about you sort of having an easygoing personality, kind of becoming more tolerant, avoiding conflict in life. It's a positive pursuit. Psalm 34 says, seek peace and pursue it. How do we do that? What are some characteristics of peacemakers? I want to hit this in this last part of the sermon from two different angles. They come from two different pastors who talk about this. Out of Scripture, out of what we see in God's peacemaking in Jesus, we can find principles for being peacemakers ourselves to to start to get at the nitty-gritty of this in our lives. First, three characteristics of peacemaking. And the first is honesty. Gotta have honesty. If there's conflict or trouble in life, a peacemaker admits there's a problem. Prophet Ezekiel warned against those who say peace when there's no peace. Who say all is well when it's not all well. He, he talked about that as just plastering over cracked walls. Not facing the problem. Uh, When the rain comes, the true state of the wall is revealed, the plaster washes off, the walls crumble. Jeremiah 6.14 puts it like this, people who say peace, peace when there's no peace, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Someone who's a, a peacemaker needs honesty about the true state of things, whether You're looking at a relationship with a friend, your relationship with your spouse, a church member, someone at work. Is there trouble that you're just trying to ignore? Are you trying to plaster over it? A peacemaker admits it when things are going south. A peacemaker admits if there are tensions or issues. Peacemaker doesn't pretend. It seems that especially men can tend to put putty over cracks, avoid reality, act like everything's okay in the name of peace. I think maybe because guys can be kind of good at compartmentalizing, but avoidance doesn't heal the wound. It can make the trouble greater later. So... We talk about peacemaking. Do we avoid in our life conflict or trouble, calling it being peaceful, but it's just because we don't want to deal with it? That's not peacemaking. God didn't ignore the problem of our trouble, right? He faced it. He dealt with it. And remember, our peacemaking comes out of His peacemaking. Second, this is related. A peacemaker is willing to risk pain. If we're wrong in a situation of conflict, we've got to apologize. If we're in the right, we have to gently address the problem with the other person. And if there's a misunderstanding, we've got to deal with it. The temptation is to let things slide because it's easier. But a peacemaker is willing to risk the pain, the effort that it takes for there to be healing, to come out with peace. A third characteristic, and and this doesn't seem like it fits, but a peacemaker is actually a fighter for peace. There's a paradox here. and A paradox is a seeming contradiction. But honesty and risking pain means a peacemaker is a fighter in the sense that he or she gets in there and deals with the problem. Ephesians 4 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. St. Francis of Assisi, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And here again, the Lord Jesus, our ultimate peacemaker, he's our ultimate example. He fought the devil to make peace. He waged war against sin. He was not passive, but active. And so are those who live for him. Someone might bring up that if Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, why did he say in that one spot in the Gospels, I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. What that tells us is the real possibility of pain and even conflict when we are pursuing God's ways. God's people, we don't look for a fight we're not trying to run a rough shot over people, but when we pursue God's ways in our lives, which peacemaking is God's will, well, it means we're going to be involved in spiritual warfare. When we fight sin and the devil inside of us and in our world, there will be conflict. Lines will be drawn. And that's what Jesus is talking about there. Peacemaking raises the question of where are we responsible in terms of peacemaking? We certainly don't have the energy or the wisdom to solve all the trouble, the conflicts around us. Well, it's a, that's a tough one. I, I think we're called especially and clearly and first to be responsible for our own immediate relationships. For example, if I have a husband, as a husband, if I've got a conflict with my wife Sarah... I am responsible for sure, without a doubt, to make peace, to pursue peace there, to take care of that. And and she is too. But my parents who live in Michigan, let's say they have an issue between them. Well, that's their primary responsibility and calling. If there's an opportunity to give help, okay, but we don't push ourselves into situations unsolicited. Without a doubt, God calls us to share God's peace beyond ourselves as we see people struggling. How to do that, when to do that, takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of heartfelt prayer on how and if to approach a situation. Certainly, as we start with ourselves, that peace will more and more Overflow, extend those around us. Now, three steps to peacemaking. Those are three characteristics, three steps that I want to conclude with. The first step is speak less. There's a really wise person that suggests this is a key to peacemaking. If people would control their tongues there would be a lot less conflict in our lives and in this world. James tells us to be swift to hear, be slow to speak. One of the best ways for you to learn to be a better peacemaker is just to learn not to speak so much. When something is said to you, the temptation is to reply. Just don't do it. Keep your mouth shut. Don't repeat things also that you know will be harmful. For example... Someone's not a true friend if they tell a friend something unkind that was said to them about something else. That's an example of keeping your mouth shut. It's not helpful, even if it's true. It's kind of a false friendship. Unworthy, unkind things aren't worth repeating. For a peacemaker, you might feel like saying certain things sometimes, but for the sake of peace, you don't. Our old nature can be so strong in us. Our tendency is to think, well, I've got to express my mind. People have got to know what I think. If I don't care for this or that, well, I'm going to say so. Well, what if everybody was like that all the time? Life would be chaos. We can't make excuses for ourselves like that. We can't talk or have attitudes like people who aren't saved. We're new people. We're made after the image and pattern of Jesus. We don't always have to speak. We don't always have to give our opinion. Speaking less than some of us usually do is a first step toward being a peacemaker. Second, think. Speak less first. Second, then think. Think with a gospel mind. View every situation in light of Jesus and his finished work. What are the implications of this situation? It's, it's not just about me. What about the church? Does it build up the church? Does it build up others? If we <clears throat> only think about things from a selfish point of view, which is our default, in a very personal sense, we're only thinking in terms of that There will always be war and conflict. The gospel is about putting others first, the church first, the kingdom first, others first, ourselves second, which is the exact opposite of what the world tells us to do. The gospel renews our minds. Think with that outlook on every situation. The gospel tells us this. This is how we should think about situations. Those who are causing trouble need help. They're enslaved by sin and the devil. They need the peace of God in Jesus. They're each one of us except for the grace of God. So we approach people and situations with compassion, with the mind of Christ. Speak less, think with the gospel mind, and then finally act. That's where the acting comes in. Become positive. We go out of our way to look for opportunities to make peace control our tongues, we have compassion, and then out of that, how might we act? Certainly, we can act by praying that God would deliver a troubled person. We can try to help in other ways, befriend them, actively produce, promote peace, be selfless, be approachable and loving, and just let Christ's peace shine out of you. God's word calls us this morning to peacemaking in a world of strife. And there's strife, there's trouble in our hearts, in our relationships, among groups of people. Jesus came to bring peace. And when we know and when we see and experience Jesus' peacemaking, we see the path to becoming peacemakers today. And we we can't help it. We can't help it because we're children of God. The Father's work becomes peace. Our work, And as I look out on this congregation, children of God here, I see peacemaking in action in so many ways. May God help us do it more and more. James 3 talks about a harvest of righteousness when it talks about peacemaking. May this divine enterprise of, of peacemaking be making a beautiful harvest in your life in this church more and more and and far beyond.